I'm Jeff Gibson. And it is I, Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main review or main topic of discussion. And then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies, often counting backwards through time. In this episode, the main event will be the uh, indie film Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. I think I got that in the right order. And then uh, film phase will focus on our favorite movies from the 1940s. So, let's start off first with the week in review. Shanna, you have a couple things that you wanted to report back to us about. Why don't you uh, tell us what those are? Yes, the first one I have is a TV show on Disney+. Plus. It's 13 episodes, and it is called Legend of the Three Caballeros. This is a really fun and colorful show featuring the three caballeros. It may sound familiar to you if you watched the movie from the 40s or remember the song. If you were exposed to, uh, what was it called again? Sing a song? Disney oh, sing a song? There were VHS tapes called yeah. Sing Along. Sing Alongs, yeah. yeah. There was like a whole series of them. And that was, was my only exposure to the Three Caballeros movie. So. And to clarify for people who don't know, basically they took a song segment from a Disney movie and had a bouncing ball fall or bouncing, bouncing mouse ears. Mouse ears, yeah. Yeah, following along with the words, the lyrics of the song so the viewer could scene with the scene of the movie and, and learn usually... how to read and 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 crave subtitles in her future life <laughs> get over that one inch barrier uh usually it's good training actually yeah usually there's like what three to five in one vhs tape or something gosh i i don't remember i remember it feeling like it lasted a long time mm. so yeah and those were po very popular but yeah. this is not that anyway it features Donald Duck, Jose Carioca. Is it Carioca? In the, in the original film, it is Joe Carioca. Oh, Joe? That's what he says. But, of course, Joe in Spanish is Jose. Oh, okay. Okay. And then Pan Panchito. So it's got all three of those characters. This is essentially their origin story. They're brought together after the death of Donald's great uncle, and somehow they're all related or know, know the great uncle. We see a lot of Easter eggs during this show, from Scrooge to the bear, uh, from that da 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 bum bum. Yeah, you're referring to a very specific Disney short from back in the 40s or 50s where there was a park ranger mm -hmm. that was making all these bears pick up the trash around yeah. the park. Yeah, and so that bear mm -hmm. is featured at some point in this show. Excellent. And that famous irritating bird. Yes, what was that bird called? Well, I, I don't have it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
let's see. Let's look that up. I will try to look that up. Okay. But I wanted to really quickly say, is the bear also the same bear that was in one of the package films from the 40s? Or a bongo? Is it bongo bear? You always say that and it doesn't feel right to me. Okay. I'll look up the bird. Okay. So anyway, you know, if you're into the the duck universe uh, of Disney, you're going to see a lot of different things, and it's great for the fans. We also see Daisy pop in here and there, as well as her nieces. Uh, it turns out that threes run in duck families. Thank you, Jeff. So that bird is the Eru Kwan, and I think they call him Airy in the show, something shorter. And it's just every time he's on screen and it's not overdone, I just I just lose my shit because I'm so freaking excited. Anyway, they are told by the goddess of adventure, Sandra, that they must fight the evil that could threaten the world. Our evil character is played by the guy from Jurassic Park with the shaving cream and Oh, Wayne Knight. Yeah, Wayne Knight, mm-hmm. which is, his voice is fantastic. I laughed and so much in this show and was often so pleased with the cuteness I could die. Uh, it, w- it has a really good continuity to it and takes place within one to two and a half months in their timeline. Okay. I would say that this really is a binge kind of show and it's, you'll feel good afterwards. Very cool. And to, to clarify, in case I, I would imagine a lot of people are not familiar with the Three Caballeros, none of what you just described is in the actual movie from the 40s, the no, Three Caballeros. No, it's, it's they're, something else. They're actually just, it, it, they're basically just three friends from three different countries in the Americas, continents. Uh, that and then they make music. Become, yes, that become friends, basically. And then, and then I've also started watching DuckTales. I'm not, the, the new ones. But I'm not ready to quite talk about it yet, but I will say that they feature in there too, and not in the form of legend, but actually making reference to the movie. And it's kind of fun how they try to weave it in there. Uh, Do you know if this was intended as a 13-episode one-off, one-and-done kind of season thing, or is there pl- was there plan to be more, or what's the story It here? looks like they could have more if they wanted to. Uh, my guess is that they're testing it to see how it goes. Okay. I don't know anything technical about this. Oh, yeah, about the production? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's there. Uh, where is it for people? Disney Plus, Legend of the Three Caballeros. Very cool. And did you see anything else this past, uh, since the last episode? Oh, yeah. So I was browsing on Prime and all of a sudden, you know, because technology listens to us and knows what what we're slightly interested in just by a touch. We don't even have to talk about it. Jeff and I have started working out and something that popped up on Prime was a movie from 2019 called Britney Runs a Marathon. And this was quite a fun film. It's a woman who is about 50 pounds over her BMI, her body mass index, and she's been told by her doctor, who she visited because she was struggling with focusing, and really it's because of her lifestyle, partying all night, blah, blah, blah. He's told her to lose 50 pounds, and she decides, because she she has 
not enough disposable income like so many of us she's just going to start running because running is for free and that's how she tells off a crossfit trainer Mm. (laughs) like you're going to charge 120 dollars for half your gym when running is free (laughs) and i was i just i thought that was really amusing so it's a comedy and it's a lot of fun. You who, see, who stars in it? So this stars Gillian Bell and wasn't she in Twenty Two Jump Street? Yes. Ah, yes, she was the killer daughter. That was Spoilers, killer attitude. But yes, she, yes. How is it an, a spoiler? It's killer attitude. Okay. Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> it's got Lil Rel Howery. I think that's how you say it. I am not familiar with who that is. He's in Get Out. He is TSA, man. Oh, that guy yeah. is awesome. Yeah, he is fucking awesome. I hope he's in more shit. Right I'm on. like super excited to see him in more stuff. Anyway, it's star, nice. you know, there's other people too. But what's really awesome about this movie is she gets inspired to run. And so she she's like, I'm going to run. I'm going to run just one block, just one block. And she runs one block and then she gets home and she's like dying because this is what happens to us, isn't it? And then, you know, she starts running more and more and more. And she says, the thought of going on a run sometimes makes me want to throw up. But then I get back from my run and I feel amazing. And that is just totally something that we can relate to in the phases of gaining back your fitness. Mm. She then gets inspired to run the New York Marathon and she has to train and she starts taking it very seriously and she just, she does amazing. And then hurdles come towards her that are either in her control or out of her control. And it's just a really great movie in showing, you know, what the fitness process can look like when you're getting started as well as the emotional journey that you could go on when mm. you are going through a fitness journey. When you, you know, it has a lot of things that help click into place when you start a fitness journey, as we have found out in the last week. Yeah. And it was just really nice and it had a great ending and I, I felt very hopeful for the future, which is great to have right now. So it sounds like a really inspiring movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not Oscar material, but mm. it definitely spoke to me. Mm. Was it funny since it starred Gillian Bell or was it oh, more of a yeah. serious There were some really great lines, okay. just really awesome. You know, and she says tits and that's like my favorite, you know. <laughs> okay. She's like, are there any options for women who aren't over their tits in debt, you know, or whatever oh. it is. And it just made me really happy. Awesome. So, yeah. All right. So that's. Brittany runs a marathon. Where did you find that? On Prime. Excellent. We that that about does it for your weekend review. I have no weekend review, as we know. I have no time to myself these days. But we did. Oh, you poor thing! How you <laughs> suffer? Uh, says the person who gets all the time to herself. Uh, so, but we did watch something. So here's the interesting thing: uh, the weekend that we recorded our last episode, we had completely unplugged from the world. And it turned out the wrong weekend to unplug from the world. Like the most worst weekend. Because a lot of shit went down in the country with the Black Lives Matter and um, protesting in the name of George Floyd and everything. And so one thing that we did in the past week 
is taken upon ourselves as Caucasians to watch stories and films about and by black people. Uh, so we we watched with our teenager Malcolm X and Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, but we also watched a documentary that was new to us from a couple years ago called I Am Not Your Negro, which is ostensibly inspired by a work that writer James Baldwin was working on based on three people that he knew that were assassinated in the 60s them being I think they're all like it's like three M's right it's Medgar Evers Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Isn't that a coinkydink? Yeah but the movie it's, it's it's interesting because the documentary is not interested in really telling James Baldwin's life the even though he is kind of the anchor of the documentary it's really more about using his words to create a thread from at the very least from the civil rights movement to black lives matter today and and one could argue even it goes even back further than the civil rights movement is that a fair description of the documentary i think with confidence you can say it goes further back than the civil rights movement there's Mm. a lot of talk about slavery that's true yes what did you think of this documentary which by the way was nominated for best documentary on its year i don't think that it's a good idea for me to speak first about this film and i'll tell you why okay and then i want to hear your thoughts okay Because all of this is new to me. In particular, the African-American experience. I can talk about Mandela and the long walk to freedom with as much as I know. But I am only two or three years new to Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. and now James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be good to hear what you have to say first because you have been taught about most of these people throughout your life. Mm. Well, I guess on that note, I would say this is not a movie I would use to introduce someone to those people because the documentary isn't really interested in giving a in-depth analysis or overview of each of those people's lives of what they did what 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 they were doing prior to their assassinations their respective assassinations so as far as that goes i wouldn't say that this documentary serves as an introduction to those people in particular And I'm not even sure I would say it serves as an introduction to the black experience in the United States. I think I benefit from having the years of education and exposure I've had over the past 30 years, at least, to issues with um, that, that, that black Americans have 
been faced with and as well as of course learning about slavery being exposed to what that actually looked like and as far as i can and the civil rights movement all that sort of stuff this movie is not it's an impressionistic documentary there are things that james baldwin says that are incredibly articulate and really great points that i think are very effective and I think the imagery and, and the, the, the goal the documentary is striving for is executed well. But this is the kind of movie that it should be like your f- number 5 to 10 in terms of order of film to watch if you're trying to educate yourself about the black American, the African American experience. I, I would say, in my limited purview anyway. And you, you have a better understanding, uh, to clarify, of the black South African experience. So, like, as, I would... As best as I can know being a white girl. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. right? Vice versa, right? So, like, I come to you to, to help get a better understanding of what what that looks like, what's been going on over there and stuff. Just like you've come to me to try to get an education through film of the black American experience. You know, we've watched Spike Lee films, which I think are, are uh, seminal to helping understand these, these issues. That's a pretty good word. Yeah. I was going to say a wake up call for, (laughs) for white people in particular. At least he he tries to anyway, he's been trying his whole life anyway. You know, I I think it's very effective. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yes. I I think, you know, clearly it's fallen on deaf ears sometimes over the years. But anyway, as far as the documentary goes, is that that helpful towards getting to what you thought? Yeah, I I love that we came up with a movie marathon idea after this. We were like, you got to watch Malcolm X, Selma, and then I Am Not Your Negro. Well, there was With, a, there like was a, other stuff sprinkled in in between. In between, too. yeah. This ended up on your list, which I actually maybe maybe I'll try to include that in the show notes. Actually, this was like number seven or something in your list in in order of, of yeah, things. yeah. And I still have a lot. To, I, I'll say what I think about the documentary. I realize that I have a lot to learn, and it's up to me to learn about the history of black Americans because how am I supposed to understand or help or be empathic if I don't know? Mm -hmm. And this movie really helps you get there by listening to James. You, you hear him say a point and immediately you understand no bullshit, no flowery Mm -hmm. excuses, no nonsense. And listening to James speak about racism and the black experience in America is so helpful and keeps you on point. I feel a little confident that we have given our son a leg up because we haven't given him bullshit. Mm -hmm. We have not been the ones to, to say what it is. We have let someone else speak and say what it is. As someone who's well-versed and is able to really drive the point home with min- seemingly minimal effort. 
you know, uh, accompanied ease. by very in-depth discussions afterwards, though. But yes, yes. Yeah. Oh. So I feel like if we watch this every year with as a family, I feel like we would get it more and more and more. You know. All right. Yeah. So uh, and that intimates one other important fact, which is you know we need to keep learning and keep reminding ourselves and and doing what we can to be better. So. That is I Am Not Your Negro, and that ends the Week in Review segment. Now we're on to the main event, which is even more fun. <laughs> Our review of... Help me out here, lovey. Never... Never, sometimes, rarely, always. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Down beneath the ashes and stones. I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. Going to New York? What are you doing there? Seeing family and stuff. Used to be on Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Do not sleep here. Where's the rest of the money? La, 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 la. I want to make sure that you're safe. This is hard. I'm gonna ask you some questions. They can be really personal. Just answer either never, rarely, sometimes, or always. And that's from the trailer to Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. So this film is, according to IMDb, about a pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania traveling to New York City to seek out medical help after an unintended pregnancy. It's directed by Eliza Hitman, who directed Beach Rats a couple years ago, which Got a little bit of buzz among the critics circles and in the indie community. It stars Sydney Flanagan in her debut role, Talia Ryder and Sharon Van Etten. And who's the guy from the TV show? Ryan Eggold. Uh, the TV show I was referring to was that hospital show, New Amsterdam. Anyway. He's also in Blacklist. Very good, yes. So what we like to do when we review a movie is first focus on the good, what we liked about a film, what worked for us, what were its strengths, and then talking about the bad, what didn't work for us, what were its flaws, if any. It's always good to focus on the positive of a film. Then we finish up with spoilers and final thoughts. 
Shannon, I think this case, usually I start off with your thoughts on a film. I think I'm going to change it up in this particular case because I feel like this movie requires more of your voice. And I know you have a lot to say anyway about this movie, but I think it requires more of a female voice than my voice. As you said in the last episode, I have a penis and I know nothing. (laughs) So. Yes, I have a vagina. (laughs) It is true. (laughs) You just reminded me of a Bill Murray quote from Ghostbusters. It is true. It was with the right This woman has no penis. (laughs) All right. It is true. This man has no vagina. (laughs) Sounds much better that way. (laughs) So let me share my thoughts. Uh, I might even end up compacting the good and the bad here. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I was was foolish enough not to take notes because I thought I'd remember everything. Because I'm going to be fairly concise here. This is a really damn good movie. This is a very impressive indie film. This is a story that, you know, the production-wise, it requires very little. Uh, You're basically just following this girl pretty much the whole time and pretty much just going from one city to another, wandering around that city, trying to stay up as as long as she can because she, you know, uh, things don't go according to plan, let's say. So this is an example of being able to do a lot with very little. There are very little resources necessary, it seems, for to tell this story. And it is one of the most powerful stories I have seen, certainly this year, if not for a while be, uh, beyond that. The power of this story, I feel, is in how well... This film is able to give you a subjective experience of what a woman experiences. In this case, it's a young woman. She's 17. But what a woman experiences on a day-to-day basis to the point where, like, the way it focuses on how certain men interact with the main characters. Uh, There's two main characters. One's a cousin of the character the main character who's pregnant but the way the men and it shows men interact it it makes you you're always on edge to a certain extent i'm not going to be so bold as to say it gives you as a man the full experience of what it's like to be a woman and you totally you know get it but it does definitely as best as possible uh, you are wondering about every exchange. Does this thing mean uh, that they will be obligated as far as the male is concerned to other things? What does this gesture mean? How is this person abusing their power or their position over these girls, etc., etc., etc.? And if I were to say, like, while that is extraordinarily effective, if I were to say there's one. Uh, issue with the film that anybody could criticize with validity it's that there that every single male character in the film is a negative experience or a negative influence and there's nothing to offset that that i think i could see that as being a fair criticism 
but it doesn't throw off balance the the film and what it's trying to achieve and i feel like it, it certainly doesn't hurt the film enough for me not to strongly recommend this to anyone who hasn't seen it which i understand has to be most people right because this thing hit the uh limited theater circuit in march mid-march of this year and then the pandemic hit like that week or something things escalated very quickly and so it had to be shoved to vod in order to get any visibility at all uh which it was in early april so yeah we we are a couple months behind on trying to catch up with this and trying to get it in our schedule but uh, it is available out there uh right now on vod hey give the film an 8 out of 10 and recommend it. That is pretty much, aside from conversational bits here and there with Shanna, pretty much the extent of my involvement in this discussion. Shanna, what did you think of sometimes? No, sorry, I fucked it up. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. I thought this was a brilliant piece of work showing the female experience in a very particular phase of life. She is... Are we there to believe she's 17? She says Wait. she's 17. She explicitly says she's sexually active since she's 14. This is a brilliant piece of work about a young woman's experience with men and the results that they have on her life, whether they're big big results or little results that are going to affect how she goes through the rest of her life. You know, you talk about your one criticism being that all these men they're surrounded by, there's not even one good man. Sometimes that is the case, especially during this age. And so I don't understand why people would think that that's a reasonable criticism because it's not about nice men. It's about a woman, young woman who is constantly challenged by men that are constantly taking and constantly slut shaming and and treating her cruelly in any manner from verbally, emotionally or spiritually hurting her. So that being said, I loved watching the interactions between our, our main character and her cousin. They're kind of in the same boat in their work situation where they're dealing with a horrible creep that makes me want to force education onto everyone on how to spot a fucking creep asshole and what to do, what the chain of command is, what, the, what options you have. I'm going to try and stay focused. There's a lot I want to say. <laughs> there's, as a woman, there's a lot of checkboxes in this film. I can say, I think there were only two times where I could say I didn't have an interaction like that, but it's only because I didn't get away safely technically because I did know a friend that had that interaction. So everything that happens in this film is relatable in some way to me with all their male interactions. And it really says something, doesn't it? If I can check off all the boxes personally and then two for acquaintances, experiences. It's a very tense film. 
because women's intuition, if you've got it locked in, you know what's happening and what's going to go badly. There are a few things in this film that are up for interpretation that I'll talk more about in spoilers. And that's nice because uh, it leads to healthy discussion with male counterparts or husbands about why I feel a certain way about it and, you know, he can share how he feels about it because of his experiences. There's one particular thing that I enjoyed watching during this film. And that was you and your reactions. Me. It made me want to ask you, are you uncomfortable? And it made me want to ask that because that is how I live most of the time. I got to tell you, I hate that COVID has happened. But man, I love the fact that I can tell an asshole to back the fuck up and get out of my bubble with something behind it, Hmm. you know? There's so many times where men have infringed on my rights or space or anything. And I just, I really love that the film dealt with that in this to the point where it made you, a man, very uncomfortable. I feel like, you know, in closing for this part of our segment, this is a brilliant film to show your children. And it's up to you what age you want to show it to them. You need to watch it yourself and determine that after you've seen it. It's a brilliant film to teach your kids so that your kid or your people in your life that you care about will always know, this makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to say something. I'm going to tell someone. I will find someone to tell. Instead of being quiet about it and letting it happen, because remember, when we let the cycle of bullshit happen whether it's a a manager taking advantage of women in some way or a boy on a bus that you meet taking advantage in some way it's going to shut all those behaviors down and i just feel like this is a really freaking important film um, for everybody to watch and help educate on how to not be an asshole and how to advocate for women and yourself. I give this film a 10 out of 10, and I feel very strongly about that because of the subject matter, but also because of the performances, the writing, and the production of this film. If I may, I'd like to speak to two points that you just brought up. One being the experience of watching it. I would say that... This is a little bit more effective than Bombshell from the this past fall or winter, where you know that movie's a little bit flashier. It had one scene I think that gets like as effective as this whole movie does. And do you know you know what what scene? I know what you're talking yeah. about. You're saying that like two or three minute scene, yeah, where you're only uncomfortable over there in bombshell. Yeah, yeah. you're that level of uncomfortable yeah. throughout this whole film. Yeah. of never, sometimes, rarely, always. Yeah, you know it is very effective as an experience. I think in terms of the other point you made about 
watching it with your kids and stuff and what the age appropriateness of, of that or whatever is I, I, I thought I'd point out it is a P it is rated PG 13. And I do think mm-hmm. like it's a really good film to watch with your teenagers, be it boys or girls with boys at the very least to help get them at least thinking about their behaviors or or what their you know their future behaviors will be and it's good it's good to focus on their own behavior but also to identify it in their friends sure and point that bullshit out sure yeah yeah uh it's it's a conversation starter if nothing else at the very least because it does open the door to questions of okay well then how do we navigate these this situation or that situation what without being making another person feel uncomfortable let's say so as men you know that's uh that's that's, it's great stuff is there anything else you want to say before we get into spoilers this film in case you didn't know does feature the right to choose it does feature abortion now well, it's about abortion, not just feature it. Yes. Whether your belief is pro-choice or pro-life, it doesn't really matter. This can still serve as an education of what to be on the lookout for so that you can advocate for yourself. I want to say that with, no matter what your stance is on abortion, it's a good film to watch. I hope that everything's even keel. <laughs> If you're going to watch this film and help educate another. Oh, and lastly, I, one thing I didn't get to say before was the star's uh, performance is incredible as a, as a debut performance. I mean, she's roughly the same age and she's remarkable. The, the, the different emotions that she, I mean, the, the, there's one scene in particular I want to talk about in spoilers. Let's, let's move on to spoilers. Let's. I think we made our opinions very clear about this film watch this movie if you haven't seen never rarely sometimes always skip ahead to film faves segment if you have seen it let us know what you think email us at the gibson review at gmail.com now it's time for spoilers for never rarely sometimes always starting right now i love that when she finds out she's pregnant She's being exposed to all these childlike things while being called a slut is still fresh. She finds out that she's pregnant and all of a sudden she's taking note of kids' drawings and then she's noticing how her mom is taking care of her younger sister as well as looking after her husband to her cousin putting her hand on her face while sleeping next to her. So there's all these little subtle things that she's experiencing that one would know to identify if they have had experience with children, whether it's their own or childcare. And I just really love the, the, the subtlety of how that came to the forefront of her mind. When she her cousin sees that she's pregnant, which she notices after she has to adjust her bras because her bra straps, because obviously her breasts are enlarging because she, it turns out she's in her second trimester. Now you can have an abortion in most places in your first trimester, but by the second trimester, you have to sometimes go somewhere else. 
And with that subtle change, it really just tells you, you, you know, how wonderful a story this, this movie is. When her and her cousin are planning to go to New York for her to have an abortion, they are quiet. They're just doing what needs to be done. They're very focused and they're just glancing at each other and they know exactly what, how to be there for each other. And it's just really wonderful acting. But you want to talk about a really particular scene of this movie that's very powerful. Why don't you introduce it? Yeah, I think the the most effective and, and best scene of the whole movie, and in, in which the star, Miss Flan- Cindy Flanagan, really impresses, is the scene that gives the movie its title. It's a questionnaire that is asked when she finally gets to the clinic that she needs to be at in New York City and has the appointment that she needs to have, or at least is trying to set up that appointment. She's asked questions about her sexual history. And the an- it's a multiple choice, and, of course, the answers are never, rarely, sometimes, always. And the person reading the questions to her, asking her these questions, always asks those or says those answers. It's never, she never assumes. There's some sort of a power in, and some sort of a compelling nature in saying the possible answers each time. And you see in Sydney's face just change and become less and less nonchalance and more and more affected by the questions. And thirdly, on top of all of that, this series of questions give us everything that we need to know without being very specific about her sexual history and her current situation. And I, I just thought that that is that's that's a contender for scene of the year. Yeah, if there is one. I feel like if you didn't catch the, the subtleties or the blatant idiocy of men in this film, at this point, you should get it. Mm. Like, you should be able to understand why she, she just can't have a baby. That this is her option. This is her only option. This film really shows you how difficult it is to have an abortion. Yeah. Whether it is a mental choice, uh, an availability choice, a financial choice, it doesn't freaking matter. This film illustrates that no one is taking this decision lightheartedly. Mm-hmm. She had plenty of time to think about it. Yep. And she was manipulated by the first office she went to. Um, Which happens all the time. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently, this is very common. Yeah. So, I mean... In some states, it's, like, required, I think. I will say to everybody right now, if you think you're pregnant and you don't want to be, you better go seek a second opinion just in case. Uh, go to Planned Parenthood. It's probably the best option. Mm. Uh, I don't... You know, I'm not recommending things. I'm just saying, given from this movie, this is what I've learned. Mm-hmm. If you're pro-life, you could really have an interesting discussion with your child about how it's it's something very difficult. It's not lighthearted. This is why I am pro-life, you know, I would assume. And then pro-choice, it can really take 
another direction of like, well, this is why uh, this is why we have these services available to people who uh, really need them. You, you see that scene that you're talking about and you really understand why availability needs to be uh, available. Be available. <laughs> you, women need that choice yeah. in case. Yeah. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter what the reason is. It doesn't just stop at, I need to have an abortion, and that's that's the end of it. These questions really show you how much they're caring about the individual, about the woman, not her freaking uterus. And like, are you safe? Mm-hmm. I didn't even think they would ask such a thing, but it's wonderful that they do. Yeah, Because often... Women aren't safe if they're coming for an abortion. It's, it's highly likely they're unsafe. Hmm. What I thought was interesting <laughs> is, uh, you know, now that I've talked about, like, the passionate part, uh, let's talk about the other parts. You know, we, we see so much. All these men are in these powerful positions, whether it's a manager, a man that's able to, a boy that's able to give money or... <laughs> down to the information desk in the subway who is there to help and and decides these girls are bothersome. All these men we see in this movie are in positions of power and it's just a fuckery show. You've either got someone like the subway help desk just shooing them away essentially, Hmm. not willing to help, even though that's his job, to the manager who, when the girls deposit the cash from the registers, they hand him the envelope through a little opening to another room. And he grabs their hands and kisses their hand. Once he's had his way with their hand, then let's go. These girls are being subject to so much more than just physical inappropriateness it's emotional inappropriateness well and that was really a bonkers thing for me i mean i've never even seen or heard of anything as crazy as that because the guy had to have created a system in the routine that required that process to take place and it's it's also a really weird, like the kissing of that, all that just to get to kiss their hand. It's weird. It's really weird. And that, you know, I'm a guy and I'm saying that's really weird. <laughs> you know, I was just like baffled by that, what that guy was doing. It was, it was one thing to expect him to be like verbally inappropriate or to get in their bubble or or something like you know that i'm i've seen uh the a a quote-unquote normal kind of abuse but this was bonkers this is different because it's borderline predatory behavior sure it's testing the waters testing what he can get away with so that he can eventually get to the next step Mm. and when she is has morning sickness and her cousin and her come in and say we need to go. Yeah. And it's an hour and a half till the shift ends. He starts manipulating them and making them very uncomfortable by saying, I'll get lonely. Why don't you just keep me company? Yeah. And, and what was interesting is 
when you showed your your absolute shock of this, I looked at you and I said, but this is normal. Mm-hmm. This is what women and girls go through all the time. And what was your response to that? Me telling you that. <laughs> I pointed at the screen and said, that's normal? <laughs> I was appalled. <laughs> What you should really be appalled about is, <laughs> it is, which is why I feel so strongly that this could be an educational piece. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we got to finish anyway. up. Is there any other points yeah, you want to make course. really quickly? I have plenty. <laughs> okay. So, why don't you? I have an essay. <laughs> just fire away real quick. A couple last points before we have to move on. Yes, I think that the 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 questionnaire scene is very important, but I also think that the scene where they they they've lost all hope they've lost all that you know they they don't have any money and they ask the guy they met on the bus to come and hang out with them and they're eventually going to ask him for money we start seeing him he's like singing karaoke yeah and like i don't care you look at those girls and you can tell something is wrong and he's just so doesn't give a shit can't be bothered about how these girls are really feeling or anything like that he's just carrying on with his song and it's he's just so oblivious to the Mm. fact that something is so wrong and uh, if you remember correctly uh is it sydney what's her name which one the main girl the main the actress's name is sydney her character's name is autumn autumn's just had the first part of the procedure yeah that dilates her so she this girl is i'm surprised she's not climbing a wall (laughs) you know i i would be for sure and like this guy just so oblivious well he's so focused on the one thing he wants right ever since he you know and and he he thinks all this is supposed to be leading somewhere uh that he's actually scoring points and and getting somewhere by spending this time with them to with the cousin to the point where when they separate when they actually separate like it's actually kind of like oh no it's a <laughs> you know, it's a beautiful it's, it's moment a scary because, scene scary moment because at first i thought oh god is is she going to be human trafficked or something and then you know it's it's normal shit he's removed her from the situation with her cousin and Taken her to a quieter place. Her being Skylar, the actual yeah. cousin. And making out with her. Mm. Well, Autumn goes looking for her, eventually finds Skylar. And he's got Skylar against a pillar and is making out with her. And you can tell she's not into it. She doesn't want to do it, but she's sucking it up. As most of us girls have been led to believe that yeah. we have to do. Yeah. And what's beautiful in this moment is that Autumn reaches around the pillar and holds Skylar's hand. Mm. <sighs> in this effort to be there for her and show appreciation for her and let her know that I'm here. Yep. It can't get worse than this. I'm here with you. Right. And she's safe also. There's a certain degree of safety. With Autumn reuniting with her, too. Yeah. And it's just such a beautiful moment. Because I think that anyone who's witnessed their their girlfriend 
you know, go through something scary that involves a man, whether it's it's something something that's like, oh, I expect a kiss to something worse, knowing that your other girlfriend, your, you know, someone is there for you mm-hmm. makes a difference, you know. I think that was one that I could not relate to quite as much. Again, it's an opportunity for education, you know, never separate, always be there for each other kind of thing. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was interpretation. They say she gets active, sexually active at 14. It doesn't appear to be her choice. And it's up for interpretation whether or not her father raped her. Because of how he behaves, how he acts, not only towards her, but towards all the women in the house, including the female dog. Do you think Autumn was raped by her father? Um, okay, so you're trying to pull me into a longer conversation um, when we need to move on. But I think the word that you said is key, which is the movie is vague enough that you could interpret as you like. We don't know specific incidents. We don't know specific years. We don't know specific dates. We don't know anything specific. I think in, a, in the effort of making this kind of an every woman's experience, like you said earlier, there are so many things that you could check off that you've experienced. And I think part of it, part of what helps with that is not being really specific with these kinds of things. So you um, think it's a strength of the film? Yes. Not to define what happened. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, you, you feel very strongly about it and the film, and I think it just bolsters your feelings towards the movie, how you interpret her past. So, and I think that's just how it should be. Great. Well, I highly recommend this film. I think everyone should watch it. It's important. I agree. But email us what your thoughts are of the film at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Moving on, the one thing that you don't see, along with many other issues in the 40s, is you don't see very much about abortion. I don't think we saw any <laughs> movies about abortion in the 40s. I, I don't think we heard anyone say anything along the lines of, I would prefer not to have children. Uh, well, there is one. Is there one? There is one. I'm curious if this uh, oh, ends wait. up being on your list. But oh, yeah, it totally is. There is one. But let's let's talk about the 40s. Um, oh, let, let me first introduce, in case you're new to the podcast, Film Faves is our segment where we count down our respective lists around a particular topic. Uh, we march backwards through time occasionally, like we are in this episode, uh, where we're looking at the 1940s, finishing up, um, just about finishing up our march backwards through time. And we also try not only to give you our sense of our taste through this, but also try to expose you to movies that you may not have heard of before. Now, this is getting increasingly difficult as we go further and further back in time, because what we try to do is point out where what subscription services these movies are available on. And we focus on HBO Now, hopefully soon HBO Max, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Hulu. Well, the further back we go in time, the fewer and fewer subscription services of, uh, make these films available. Most movies are available, though, to rent on Amazon, so you can rely on that if you hear something that interests you. Now, 
the 1940s though this was an interesting decade um this is considered along with the 1970s one of the greatest decades ever in film so when starting this project of going backwards through time i fully expected there to be a wealth of options for me to try to choose from and it'd be kind of difficult to boil it down to 12 films that ended up not being the case. It, you know, it's kind of the opposite of when we did our 50s list. I expected to hate the 50s. Ended up I had three dozen movies to choose from from the 50s. This time, for me, not so much the case. But there were a, a lot of great things that came from the 40s. 1940s, of course, the Hayes Code is in full effect. The, the country is in World War II for the first half of the decade which, of course, greatly affected such things as, like, Walt Disney Studios, uh, by the way, which they came out with a few films that everybody remembers right now. You might hear about them a little bit later. But then they went bankrupt um, as a result of most of those movies. Oh, not bankrupt. They, they, they were hurting for money. But also, on top of that, the U.S. Army uh, kind of took over part of the studio and utilized uh, commissioned them to basically make propaganda animation which they did for the war effort and in order to recover the whole half of the decade the, the last half of the decade disney had to make these packaged films which are like cheaply made animated segments and uh, that were that were packaged sometimes there was two segments you know, split, you know so the movie was split into two parts or it was four five six seven little segments it all depended so the war definitely affected some and also you had a handful of some of the top directors of the time william wyler frank capra george stevens i think john houston all going to war i think john ford as well if i remember correctly going to war to help in the war effort and then coming back and you have the rest of the decade onward kind of reflecting having some influence on based on their experiences so the 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 40s are interesting in that regard also most of the decades films are in black and white even though color was was there it was a thing. Uh, it was mostly used for animated movies and musicals like Anchors Away, On the Town, those kinds of movies. Uh, not so much anything else. The Red Shoes is one of the only other exceptions. And would you say The Red Shoes is a musical? You know, it's been a while since I've watched The Red Shoes. Maybe it is. Maybe. Maybe. A strong maybe. But yeah, uh, really mostly a black and white decade, which I, I wouldn't ever use as a means to disparage films because I definitely don't think black and white should be a hurdle to anyone enjoying anything. But is there anything you wanted to add about the decade before we get into the list? It turns out I like this decade. I think I like the 50s more, but this decade was pretty decent and had quite a range of films to look at. Uh, different storytellings. Some were really tackling interesting topics like coming back from the war and how that affects a variety of people in different positions. Uh, and then, you know, there were some fun fun romances and then uh, a, a really well-known realistic romance. So 
there's there's really a lot of fun happening in here. I I love the Disney stuff that came out this this particular decade. It was interesting when you found out the history of Disney in the 40s. That was pretty... I, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were a couple of films that were blind spots for me that I finally got to watch because of this list. And we'll talk... We'll come back more about blind spots later. Uh, was there a particular year or two that you... That stood out to you as ended up being dominant or favorite years for you? So it looks like 44, 45 were definitely dominant. Maybe a little bit of 46. Really? Interesting. I, I found that 1940 ended up dominating my list to an extent with three movies. I think if I had included the other films that I was considering on my list, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was 1948 that would have been just as dominant. But 1940 is it for me. Shannon? Why don't you get us going with your number 12 favorite movie from the 1940s? My number 12 is Ball of Fire from 1941. One of those comedy romantics, a group of men who are writing encyclopedias, the poor bastards, you know, if you think about how information is right now. One decides that he's not really living life and he's just living in these books and this research and he doesn't actually he feels disconnected from society he decides that he's going to try and reconnect with society when he starts learning about slang and boy do we get our fill of 40s slang i don't you know i don't think there's much that carried through uh, to at least now he meets a woman and through this woman he's able to learn and connect with society again but there's something that's not quite right there. And I laughed a lot in this film. I highly recommend it. And uh, it's worth noting, it's Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. Let's let's highlight the stars of the decade. Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck are the leads of the, the film. And you mentioned the slang. Actually, some of it is so basic now that it makes him look like a, a an ignorant dope now by today's <laughs> standards that he doesn't know some of these words, you know? And that's always how it's going to be, right? There's, there's going to be words that the children say. I mean, Logan said something the other day, and I was like, what is that? You don't know what that is? Oh, good, it begins. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> but, you, yeah, it's important to have that perspective of taking a step back and be like, you know, this is 70 years ago, folks. So, But, yeah, that's a fun film. My 12th favorite movie to get this started is well, one of the Universal Monster movies, 1941's The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. Now, The Wolfman, you know, this made it on my list because The Wolfman's always been a favorite of the monsters for me. I grew up with The Monster Squad, which if you check back in our 1980. Uh, Gosh, what was that? Eighty-eight and nineteen eighties episodes. Uh, you'll you're hearing me talk about that and and how much that that Wolfman was formative for me. But also, like my mom showed me these movies when I was a kid, and you know I even watched Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which I wasn't able to fit in uh, revisit for this, but I would have loved to. We actually own that. But the Wolfman with Lon Chaney, you know, this is. Still one of the best werewolf movies ever made. I think it's been eclipsed since by movies like An American Werewolf in London. But 
it's still, you know, it's the thing that set that set the template, so to speak, like set the legend and, and made it in pop culture. And Lon Chaney Jr. is great as this tortured guy. You know, he he doesn't want to, to be this thing. He wants and he wants to protect everyone from uh, what he becomes. So. I think if you haven't seen it, you should you should hunt it down. The Wolfman from 1941. My number 11 is It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. And, of course, my favorite part of this is Jimmy Stewart. It's about Jimmy Stewart's character going through a bit of a, well, I'm worthless, I shouldn't be alive go ahead and let me die kind of thing Mm. so he's met with with that kind of crisis which is a pretty popular theme now i'm sure it was very unique at the time an angel comes to him and shows him how wrong he is about your life definitely matters you've 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 helped a lot of people in your time and kind of takes him through all these situations where he was helpful you know, it's 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 wonderful. It's also where that that line of every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. It's like one of the last lines of the movie. Yeah. Spoilers, but yes. Well, it's not really spoiler if it's in the culture. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I highly recommend this one. A lot of people watch it around Disney time. I mean, Disney around time. Disney time, really? <laughs> when? What time is that anyway? Every second of the day. Okay. <laughs> They watch this a lot, man. A, a lot during the Christmas season. <laughs> because, you know, people, you know, like, Christmas season is, is a little draining. So it's a good one to have. And that one is available on Amazon Prime. Woohoo! It's a wonderful life. Not with the woohoo, just it's a wonderful life. We got it. All right. So my 11th favorite movie ended up being my one of my only blind spots, I think, that I got to fill while researching this. Uh, I was trying to really focus on your blind spots. Didn't get to many of mine. But this is, oddly enough, well, it's a miracle on 34th Street. I'll say that first. Miracle on 34th Street from 1947. Never seen it before. Oddly enough, it's available on Disney+, Plus, even though it was not a Disney movie. I think it's a result of the ownership of Fox now, because it was a 20th Century Fox film. If you're not familiar, this is the movie where Santa Claus comes to visit New York City during kind of that time between Thanksgiving and, well, Uh, on Thanksgiving, actually. And he gets swept up by Macy's and ends up being (laughs) the Santa Claus in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's a great Macy's Santa origin story. Yeah. (laughs) And basically... One thing leads to another. People kind of get the sense, oh, this guy actually thinks he's Santa Claus. Is he crazy for thinking such things? And all that sort of stuff. And things escalate. I was really impressed by this movie. First of all, you know, it it comes up all the time as a Christmas movie. And the funny thing is, is while it is about Santa Claus, it, it doesn't take place on Christmas. Like until maybe the very end. Well, it takes place like... Thanksgiving, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah. Until Christmas. It's like the kickoff to Christmas. And so it's actually a great Thanksgiving movie. In that sense, yeah. You know, as in terms of kicking off the thing, the Christmas season. But the performances are really great. I I love how back then even there's the woman who plays this like quote unquote realist 
who teaches her daughter not to believe in fairy tales and, and kind of is very factual and scientific and educational to her daughter and stuff. And there's something really interesting about seeing that in 1947. And It and, does seem re- really unique. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a magical movie. That little girl, by the way, would grow up to be Maria in West Side Story and also the girlfriend in James, in James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. But at any rate, something magical about this movie. I was really taken with it. That is Miracle on 34th Street from 1947 on Disney+. Plus. And that is my number 10. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So I, I loved this film. I thought it was wonderful. I couldn't believe that we hadn't seen it yet because, you know, many of our friends, they'll say they haven't seen whatever movie and we'll be like, what? Like Star Wars? Uh, like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. You know who you are. <laughs> and... Actually, on each of our sides, we have friends like that. Mm. And so, you know, whenever we said we hadn't seen this movie, that was their turn to say, what? And I love this film. I, I love the story. I love that we got to play with Santa Claus. I love how, you know, I love the climax of the film. I, I just, I, I love it. I will be watching it every Christmas season now. Actually, I'm going to start a new tradition. It will be our Thanksgiving movie. Fair enough. My 10th favorite film is The Grapes of Wrath from 1940. This is by John Ford. It is an adaptation of John Steinbeck's novel, one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite novels. You know, this is interesting. This was named by the AFI one of the greatest films of all time. And I remember studying the book uh, in like sophomore year of high school being really taken with the symbolism, the metaphors, everything of the book, and then watching the film and being disappointed in it. I haven't seen the film since, and I'm really glad that I showed it to you because it gave me an opportunity to look at it again. And in case you're not familiar, the story follows this family in Oklahoma who are forced in during the uh, Great Depression in the Dust Bowl to move to California for better opportunities, hopefully for the family. And it's it, it stars Henry Fonda, uh, and he's kind of this guy who came out of jail recently because and he was in jail in the first place because he hit somebody and I think it killed the guy if I remember correctly. At any rate, this movie is so beautiful it's so poignant it's so deep uh i was really impressed by this film yes it kind of skims it it kind of rushes through certain details from the book from what little i remember but still there's a lot there to to appreciate and love and so it made my list in the number 10 spot the grapes of wrath by john ford from 1940 my number nine is Brief Encounter from 1945. Really? Yes. Oh, I'm surprised yeah. that made your list. This is one of those realistic love stories I, I mentioned earlier. Yeah. You know, they, it's, it's the pain of a romance story mm. sprinkled with the joy of a love story. Mm. It's all told from her perspective, so I just, I love that. And it's all in her voice. It's, we're following her. I love the performances. I don't remember their their names right now. But the story was wonderful and unique. I'm surprised they haven't tried to remake that. I, I would be or have they? 
I would be surprised if that hadn't been remade somehow, and we can research that another time. But to clarify, the stars are Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard. Yeah, really great performances dealing with different things like the nosy neighbor uh, in a different way. I really enjoyed that. Now that I've told you what I love about this film, <laughs> let me tell you what it's actually about. It's about a woman and man who meet and just really find that they love each other. They really hit it off. But the thing is, they both have families. And he's about to move to Africa, the African continent. I can't remember. Oh, wait a second. He's going to Johannesburg. South Africa. Yeah, he's a he's a doctor who studies uh, diseases with lungs, and he's been given a position, obviously during the diamond uh, and gold mine rush. Obviously. Uh, well, I mean, I would know <laughs> wouldn't I? Uh, to study people's lungs and help with that during that time. I don't know what good it did, <laughs> but here we are, and uh, you know, she's just a suburban housewife she gets one day out of the house to herself and that's the day she meets him and they're in love and they have to try and figure out how to move forward with life uh my next favorite movie from the 1940s is pinocchio from 1940 on disney plus i'm mildly surprised that this movie didn't rank a little bit higher and i think maybe my first draft of this list did have it ranking in the top five because while it's not popular I think that it is actually one of the greatest Disney films of all time, uh, easily in the top 10, if not the top five of all time. Uh, I mean, come on. First of all, there's the iconography of Jiminy Cricket. There's the When You Wish Upon a Star. There's the Blue Angel. There's the I've Got No Strings. Uh, Thank you. Sorry, I, I misspoke. There's the I've Got No Strings. There's the iconography of the Pinocchio's, you know, his nose growing. I mean, who hasn't referenced... Pinocchio's nose growing when he lies at some point in in their life but also there's all these incredible adventures it gets it's it's not afraid of getting into dark territory with gosh I can't remember what it's called it's some sort of island where where boys get to go and and quote-unquote be boys and just fuck around and then you have also Monstro the the giant whale uh, there's a kind of an epic quality to this little animated film and i think it's it's one of the most significant it is i think what the second film that disney ever made if i'm not mistaken this was his follow-up to snow white and the seven dwarfs so it, it's one of the most important films that was ever created by disney himself and this in a, a huge part of the legacy so it's a great film. Uh, I don't think it should be underestimated or underrated. Check it out on Disney Plus, Pinocchio from 1940. My number eight is Leave Her to Heaven from 1945. Is it, this the one you were talking about? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. So this is a piece of work. Performances are great. We see this in color, right? It's in. It's one of the color films. I think you're actually right because I yeah. remember it being in black and white and, and being surprised like it was in color. And there's a ton of blue somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, moving on. What is this about? This is about a woman who has just lost her father and somehow comes across this pretty successful author. And they develop a relationship. They get married. And he, you know, they get married rather quickly. 
And he's married at the time that they meet. Or, or, she or is engaged. Like she is engaged. Isn't he as well? No. Oh, my mistake. No. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. He yeah. is. She is engaged. She's engaged to Vincent Price, a very young Vincent Price, too, which is really cool. Someone who wants to be part of the Senate or uh, something in the justice mm. leadership. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what role he wanted. District attorney or some, something. At any rate. Something. Anyway, she decides to marry the author guy and he discovers that this might not have been the best idea for him and lots of things happen it it made me think of gone girl in a way Mm -hmm. and it was just super interesting and it was from the 40s and i was like this is pretty fucking cool do you think i've given enough information without spoiling anything i would only add that movies like fatal attraction basic instinct gone girl would not exist without leave her to heaven yes yes i agree um also they have the best freaking pool and i want one and jean tyranny is a fucking goddess i guess i would agree yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) uh that's awesome i'm glad that made your list that's fantastic my number eight my eighth favorite 40s movie is it's a wonderful life from 1946 on amazon prime a movie that is, as you said, often married with Christmas that has nothing to do with Christmas, which I always thought was peculiar. You know, it might be. I stress the word might. Actually, I know it's not. <laughs> Something that we'll cover in the 30s episode is. But it is definitely one of my favorite Frank Capra films. It's also probably his most well-known and his most iconic, even though it was a bomb, an absolute failure at the time that it was released. It's one of my favorite Jimmy Stewart performances. There's so such magic in this film. Like the scene when, it, it, of course, it goes back, right, in time. And we see the scene when Jimmy Stewart is courting this girl who I don't remember who plays the, the girl at the time. And he's like, they're looking up at the stars. And, and there's this beautiful line delivery he gives about something about wanting to, like, catch the moon in a lasso for her or something like that and, just, and, and pull it down for her. And it's just there's just so much heart in this film and i think it's lionel barrymore who's drew barrymore's great grandfather plays the iconic bad guy do you remember his name the um the, the character's name it's like gosh no oh i feel no. i feel like a heel not remembering because he's one of the most famous villains in film history and it's one of those names that everybody should know but uh, mr potter isn't it mr potter uh it might be you know, and he's 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 such a bastard, and and leads to a lot of the the problems in Jimmy Stewart's life. Anyway, just if you have not seen this movie, check it out. Amazon Prime. It's considered one of the greatest. It's one of the most beloved for a reason. It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. My number seven is Mr. Blandings builds his dream house. Mr. Blandings. Yeah, Mr. Blandings. <laughs> Jeff is noticing my my total misspelling of this 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 name. Anyway, it's from, an unusual name. I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, from 1948. It's got Cary Grant. Yeah. He's just his character has decided it's time to get out of this tiny apartment city life. 
So him and his wife buy a house, a house that needs so much work it needs to be torn down. It's one nightmare after another, really. Something big from an overpriced interest rate on the 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 mortgage to a door that locks them in <laughs> to oh, an yeah. extra fee uh, for, and, and, you know, to a not thinking about how you're going to commute to work. Uh, so it just, it really, like, if you ever want to buy a house, maybe you should watch this movie first and, and you'll think five times before you do such a thing <laughs> because there's factors that come into, you know, this, this huge decision in your life. And, you know, they talk about that whole theory of, you know, there's certain stressful things in your life. It's having kids and moving mm, yeah. and mm-hmm. the, like mm-hmm. try building a house. That's probably number one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, there was a movie that came out in the 80s, which I still haven't seen. A lot of people are going to be surprised by this, called The Money Pit, starring Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. <laughs> and I kind of want to see that just to see if I can actually definitively say that this is funnier and a better film yeah. than that one. We unfortunately tried to watch the trailer to that film, but we only got a, a, a clip. And it was yeah. I found it very amusing. Uh, if you're a fan of The Money Pit, check out Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. See what you think of that. My seventh favorite is considered one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time. Because it actually was pretty influential in in many ways. It's called His Girl Friday. It's from 1940. Itself is actually a remake of a film from the 30s called The Front Page. And is considered one of the greatest remakes of all time. If you're a hater on remakes, you think all remakes suck. Check out movies like His Girl Friday. There are a lot of exceptions to that philosophy. At any rate, so this movie is, is the fast-talking journalist movie. The writing is so rat-a-tat. The delivery is just so, like, machine gun fast. Like, you have to watch this movie, like, three times to catch every single line in it. Or, you know, you watch it on subtitles like me, and you'll really get to know what's being said. Sure. I mean, so many lines will go by you because of... It's basically, if you're not familiar with it, Rosalind Russell plays a ex- wife slash former journalist to Cary Grant, who's kind of, it feels like he's the editor of this major newspaper. And she comes by with her fiance saying to, with the intention of saying, au revoir folks, I'm off because they're going to leave to the suburbs. Well, they're going to get married and yeah. And go on honeymoon and move away. And yes, she'll never be back. And Cary Grant immediately, within like half a second, starts scheming to how she's going, how he's going to hook her back in and basically like rope her back into his life, essentially. He is so damn, it's a testament to his talent. He is so damn charming (laughs) as an actor (laughs) that it's so easy upon initial viewing to realize how despicable his character is out of all his filmography this is probably his like his biggest asshole of uh, of a role right yeah yeah i wanted to rewatch this film because originally it was a favorite of mine too and it no longer is oh shame <laughs> that's a, that's unfortunate it, I, I, I don't it's think, what happens sometimes well and i don't think it hurts the movie it's just one of those things that like he's so damn good that you don't even realize how much of a jerk he's being you know he's mm. you just think he's so clever 
If you haven't seen... He's so charming, you don't see that he's a dick. But he's also That's really clever, is. too. Well, yeah. His Girl Friday is the film, 1940. It's my seventh favorite 40s film. My number six is The Best Years of Our Lives. Is it lives or life? Lives. Lives. Uh, because from, there's more than one life yes, in the movie. Yes, that's right. From <laughs> 19, sorry, 1946. It's very late here. Uh, this is a wonderful story of men, three men coming back from the war and the woman who held the fort. How each of them have changed and it really focuses on how they all try to move forward after the war, uh, including the stumbles that occur, you know, while you're trying to get used to being back and not having to fight for your life anymore. I mean, that's quite something if you've been fighting for your own life and your country's lives for how many years was it? The U.S. involvement was like four years. Okay. So, I mean, that is hard to rewire again. Mm. And this movie does such a phenomenal job of really showing you what it's like for someone to come back from war. It's such a hard concept to fathom if you don't have personal experience with it somehow, either through family or your own. And like, if you ever wanted to grow your empathy muscle for that, that part of humanity, this is really the movie to see. It shows the many parts involved in this kind of event, you know, how they have to go back to work, how they, how people may view them differently if they were injured. I love how it looks at all of their lives. We are privileged to know a little bit of this in, in our time right now. We know that there's such a thing as PTSD and we, we know that it, like, you know, someone who's come back from war needs to go for therapy uh, typically. And I, I'm really grateful that we have all that, but this will help you really push to the next level of understanding. I couldn't be happier that that's made your list. I, I'm so glad I showed you that. And I know that you're reluctant because you assumed there was a movie it was like a about war, war maybe. During war. Yeah. And really, I, I guess, you know, I can't do during war films. Yeah. But I think I'm perfectly fine doing post-war films. Yeah. Because it's it's showing people fighting to gain their humanity back, trying to get their life back, their own life. Awesome. My sixth favorite at the halfway mark is Yankee Doodle Dandy from 1942. There's not a lot of James Cagney movies I have seen in my life so far, but this is my favorite. Most people know James Cagney as being a bit of a gangster, and here he's a song and dance man. This is a biopic about George Gershwin, who wrote some very famous marching or marches i should say that are still played today and you know it 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 just absolutely charmed me ever since i first saw it gosh i think it's been over 20 years now uh it's it's also another one that the afi listed as one of the greatest movies of all time i think it's one of the greatest musicals of all time i don't think enough people know it These days, I think it's kind of fallen out of popularity in favor of so many other musicals that have come along since, uh, and biopics too. But I really think it needs a bit of a resurgence in popularity and awareness because you have one of the best performances by Cagney playing this this guy from 
you know, it follows his life, essentially. It details his life, and it's on the premise. I think it's bookended on the premise that Gershwin was going to see the president of the time, which, if I remember correctly, was FDR. It might have been Truman. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. I can't remember which one. But, yeah, it's a great film. Yankee Doodle Dandy. Check it out. It's from 1942. My number five is a new discovery, Adam's Rib from 1949. And, of course, again, like, I I don't know how much money we've spent on renting movies from Amazon, but I'm glad they're there a for us to rent. too much and unfortunate, primarily because the subscription services haven't had these movies. You've had a lot of 40s films that you've had to catch up on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this stars Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, my favorite movie couple of like all time. <laughs> like I used to think it was like Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey, but that's bullshit. Like, yeah, this, that's bullshit. This... <laughs> you don't have to spray on me, my love, <laughs> with your passion. You know, they're my favorite couple from the 50s and 40s so far and probably of all time. You know, they're both lawyers in this film. Both are strong-willed as as lawyers are. If you've never met one, well, <laughs> you, you should go meet one because it's a rather interesting experience. They both decide to take the same case. Uh, well, Spencer Tracy gets to take the case, you know, representing the, the person that you defend. Um, the plaintiff? Yeah, that must be it. I, I don't know the words. All my lawyer people. He's, he's defending a guy. All my lawyer people are going to freak out at me. <laughs> he's defending a guy who was shot at by a woman. By his wife. Yes. While he was cheating on her. Yes. So, you know, he, Spencer Tracy's defeating, defeating, defending him. And Catherine Hepburn decides that this is a female issue. So she goes and defends the wife for shooting her, shooting towards her mm-hmm. husband. The guy didn't die. It was yeah. just a shot in the arm or something ridiculous. Okay. Anyway, this starts to enter their home and make things difficult and then other people like to stir the pot and so things get more difficult and uh, comedy ensues and it's just really a lot of fun and I, I love their chemistry on film. It's just amazing. It's like they were meant to be together. I love it. Yeah, I knew that you would love this film. If anybody who is uh, interested in feminist uh, stories should check this movie out. Well, I feel like if you're looking for someone that just like projected power and confidence, I think Catherine Hepburn is definitely someone to watch for that. Definitely. Also, really quickly, it's worth noting, I think it's Gene Hagen from Seeing in the Rain stars in the film. And it was David Wayne who like was stirring the pot that oh drove God. us nuts. The one flaw in the film, this guy was an idiot. No, no, but you need him because of what happens in the end, you know. So fair it's, enough. It's fair like enough. He, God, but really, we wanted to kill him every time he was on the screen. And Tom Ewell played the husband in question. He would later star in Seven Year Itch. So that's a great film, and I'm so I knew that you would love that one. My fifth favorite. 50, 40s movie, fifth favorite 40s movie, <laughs> is 1942's Bambi on Disney+. Plus. Oh, of course it is. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. <laughs> I think it's, it gets really underestimated in pop culture how beautiful and simple that film is. I think people focus on a little too much on one event in the whole movie. Yes, it is an important event in the whole movie, but there's so much more to the movie than 
the mom dying, you know? Um, and even then, I think people kind of overlook the fact that, like, there's no... Ostensibly, there's no villain in the story. And man becomes the villain in the story because of that single action, right? So there's a bit of a, like, um, what, what was it? A naturalist kind of aspect to it. But there's some beautiful animation of nature in this. And the way they capture the animals' movements, there's... It's just so adorable and beautiful. And their their piece of music, April Showers, mm-hmm. is just gorgeous. Which was my son, one of my son's favorite Disney songs when he was little, too, by and, the way. And I've tried to make that my nanny kiddo's favorite song because it's just such a great piece. Yeah, so I think, like, well, maybe maybe it's not the best Mother's Day movie or anything, but... No, it's not. I think... You owe it to yourself to give it another chance if all you remember of the movie is Bambi's mom dying because there's so much more to it that there's a lot of beauty in it. And oh, okay, you convinced me. We can watch it again. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of humor in it as well. So that's Bambi, 1942 on Disney+, Plus, my fifth favorite 40s film. My number four is Three Caballeros from 1944. It is on Disney+. Plus. Go check it out. It's awesome. There it is. This film feels like Fantasia because there's, there's all this variety happening. Hmm. What's happening here? Donald Duck receives birthday gifts, and with each one, he's taken on an adventure, sometimes alone, sometimes with a friend. It featured, you're calling him Joe. His name's Joe. And, yeah, uh, Joe Carioco. The characters you mentioned earlier in the I know, I know, I forgot. <laughs> program. I forgot, I forgot. Uh, Panchito, right? Panchito. Okay. There's a bit of I, trivia for you. How hardcore a Disney fan are you? Do you know the three Caballeros' names? There you go. You can. Uh, th- there's a question you can ask at a party. Yes, yes. So, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes Joe is with him, sometimes Panchito is with him, and sometimes it's both. Uh, I had mentioned the show earlier, and well, if you're a fan of this movie, you'll you'll be a fan of the show and vice versa. The musical richness and color palette of this film, though, are what really make this film memorable and exciting. And like I said, it feels like Fantasia. There's a little bit of live action happening. There's some live action with animation. There's this beautiful story being woven. There's There's a trippy song at the end i mean that was a bit much for me but you know great color inspiration if if you're someone who battles with what colors to put together in in a photo or a design definitely go check that one out and you know this is great because it's live action with animation before roger rabbit and i always feel like roger rabbit is that's right the thing i remember with that but they did a beautiful beautiful work in this one too what year was that this is what Roger Rabbit? No, no, no. Oh, um, this is from '44. '44. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember when Anchors Away happened, too, uh, because that was another film that happened in the '40s. That With Jerry is famous for its mm-hmm. scene that integrated uh, live action and animation. So that's the Three Caballeros from 1944 on Disney, and you'll probably get recommended to watch Saludos Amigos after that, which is a great double feature. Yeah, this is a follow-up to that short film. So, uh, And even better, I think. It's my fourth favorite 40s film. Fourth favorite 40s film is <laughs> The Treasure of Sierra Madre from 1948 by John Huston. This was one of the first movies. I think it's 
I don't think it's the first movie, but I think it's one of the first movies John Huston made after coming back from the war. It stars Humphrey Bogart and Walter Huston, his dad. It's essentially about these guys who are going off in uh, search of gold. And I can't remember, uh, you know, Sierra Madre. I don't remember exactly where that is in the United States. But it's I've always been taken by this film that was also named one of the greatest films by the AFI. Because of its character arcs and and how like the characters develop and and switch places in terms of morality and how like who's corrupted and who's not by this the prospect of riches, I think it's one of Humphrey Bogart's greatest performances. Hmm. I think Walter Houston. Uh, this is the performance that, like, if anybody characters uh, Walter Houston, it's this performance. This is also where the line, we don't need no stinking badges, comes from. It, <laughs> it's really good. If you're a cinephile, you know, you'll be interested in actually seeing that line in context and where that comes from. I highly recommend that. But there's a lot to this film, and it's always been a favorite of mine. At one point, it was number one on this list, but it stayed in the top five. 1948's Tre- Treasure of Sierra Madre by John Huston. My number three. Oh, it's a pity my three wasn't three caballeros. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I'm just seeing that now. But seriously, my number three is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein from 1948. Oh, fantastic. And you had started watching this with our son like three years ago. And I was like, no, thank you. But then you showed it to me, you know, recently. And I was like, oh, my God, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> what did you love about it? Oh, my gosh. So just so people who might not know, it features Abbott and Costello as two freight haulers. And not only do they come across... You know, they got to unpack these things for a museum exhibit, is what they're told. Uh-huh. And not only do they come across Frankenstein's monster, but they also come across Dracula. Yep. And then, as if that's not enough, they come across Wolfman. Yes. And these poor people are just, like, freaking out, you know? Girls are involved. Somebody wants chicks. Is it Chick? No. Who's the other guy? Uh, I don't remember the who the other person plays. Is it Abbott or Costello? that once they want his brain oh my they've god they've chosen okay. him that's uh, the brain they want that would be costello <laughs> so somebody wants costello's brain for the monster and it's just really funny and cute there's a couple scenes that have dracula turning in and out of a bat turning into and out of a bat yes and it's animation overlay yes and it's it's got this this droopy fluid look to it, yeah. and it looks amazing. Like yeah. you'd think that something like that would not age very well, but they do it several times. Mm-hmm. And there's only once where it's like, oh, that's just because, you know, they probably were at the end of their budget or something. But <laughs> like every other time that it's happening, it's so satisfying and pleasing to look at. But yeah, very funny. I loved it, and now I probably have to watch the rest of Abbott Costello meet whoever. So a couple quick notes about that. One of the extraordinary things about it is, of course, first of all, it's a crossover film that happened decades ago. And, and you know, uh, what, what what's popular now? Crossover universe films. And also, it starred 
It actually uh, starred Bella Lugosi yes. and Lon Chaney Jr. It didn't star um, what's his name who played Frankenstein. Um, idiot! I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. But it didn't star him. I, I think that's probably because there's a feud beca- between Bella Lugosi and um, <laughs> the guy who played. So it wouldn't have worked Frankenstein because in this film, Dracula's rather kind to. Frankenstein. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I can't say for sure that's the reason, but I know that there was a feud between them. And also, uh, interestingly enough, Abbott and Costello, they made 36 movies. 36 movies. One that's of the most. a lot of work. Yeah, one of the longest and most profitable film franchises and film series ever made. And nobody, nobody knows these movies and most people haven't seen any of them i I think that's remarkable so but this is a great entry point and i'm glad that you loved it my third favorite 40s film is 1944's arsenic and old lace starring cary grant and peter loy and who's the gal that we love in it Oh, I can tell you her name. Josephine Hull. Josephine Hull. She's also in Harvey. Yeah, she's fantastic. So this is about Cary Grant. He comes home to what, his aunts. His aunts. His aunts. He yeah. comes home to his aunts. He's he's newly married, I think. And yes. he's going to bring his gal home to his sweet old aunts. What he has no idea about is his sweet old aunts have taken up the hobby <laughs> Of inviting guests over to their home and killing them and poisoning them. Homeless guests. Homeless guests. Thank you for clarifying. You know, they're offering offering lodging. Yeah, exactly. And and poisoning them and then burying them in the uh, not the attic, burying them in the basement. And then on top of it all, there's an estranged uh, brother, estranged brother who is a very dangerous criminal, and he happens to come by at the most opportune of times this thing is with his assistant with his assistant played by peter laurie who's mm-hmm. fantastic this movie is bonkers in the best way it is one of the greatest madcap somewhat slapsticky comedies ever it is one of Cary grant's greatest comic performances if not his greatest hands down comic performance i'm trying to think right now what's even better in his career not even mr blandings or bishop's wife is better No, i think this one is quite perfect he is remarkable just a look that he gives the camera in the right time <laughs> so his great. timing is wonderful josephine hole is not annoying i find her a little annoying in harvey but she is she's hol- just a little strung out in harvey yeah she's hilarious in this movie I adore Arsenic and Old Lace. I couldn't tell you how I first came across it. I think maybe it was named AFI's 100 Greatest Comedies of All Time. When your parents owned it, they didn't They eventually owned it. They eventually owned it. Later on when it was printed in DVD. I don't even think this thing's transferred into Blu-ray. It really needs to because it's fantastic. So Hunt It Down, it's my third favorite 40s film, 1944's Arsenic and Old Lace. 
My number two is Fantasia from 1940. It's available on Disney+. Plus. Think MTV, but for classical music animated <laughs> by Disney. That's actually awesome description. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they had plans to make more, so they could have become... Mm. They could have become DTV, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we hear several pieces of music and our ears are, are met with these wonderful pieces and our eyes are totally enveloped in beautiful, rich colors, different animation techniques that accompany the said music. Sometimes the, the animation is abstracted animation and sometimes it's it's got a bit of a story to it, such as The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm -hmm. This movie really had an impact on me. I go back to my thesis work and I look at the coloring choices that I made and it had been a long time since I'd seen Fantasia, but you know, I finished my thesis, handed in my portfolio, did well. You know, a year and a half later, I would be all pairing and I watched Fantasia again and realized just how much of an impact this movie had on me because it turned out that the color choices I made are very much similar from about three pieces from Fantasia. I love watching it. I think it's the reason I love instrumental music and uh, it really had an impact on me as a kid because I would always want the music without the words. Mm. Like the words were irritating to me. I just wanted to hear the, the music. Um, the instruments so uh that is my choice over there for number two i love it fantasia it's available and i recommend the second one as well yes uh, i do too my second favorite film from the 40s literally minutes ago was just dropped from number one because i was hearing you talk about something else dumbo is my second favorite 40s film from 1941 not available on disney plus do you know why i i'm pretty sure it's because of the crows oh but, okay gotcha but you can rent it on amazon and i highly recommend that you do because well i understand racial insensitivity put that aside this movie is 61 minutes of perfection this is like there, this movie did not need to be a minute longer than it is. It is so simple and beautiful and powerful in in everything that they were able to encapsulate in the 61 minutes. And I strongly believe that to the extent that I never watched or was interested in the remake that came out last year or the year before by Tim Burton that bloated it to what two and a half hours or something like that and focused on human characters. No. When it's really all about the animals. It's, and yes. Kind of how they were treated in circus life, really. Yes, it shows that as well. And but but one of the most powerful and beautiful moments in all of Disney lore is the baby mind sequence, which gets me every time. I have to walk away now because this is just gonna make me cry if you keep going on. Say what you will about the sequence in Bambi, but this mother sequence is to me is way more powerful because all you see <laughs> keep it together love all you see is a simple trunk of a mom uh basically it's a mom trying to reach and cradle her baby while being imprisoned and you know they're separated that that gets at something very primal i think that that idea of 
of mother and and child being separated. And it's such a beautiful and aching, wonderful sequence. And, you know, you also have some wonderful and amazing things like the elephants on, what is that, the elephants on parade? The, the, the pink elephants and stuff, um, which is trippy as fuck for 1941. And I will say really briefly before I move on, as a kid, this is how gullible I was. I thought, A, elephants had big ears and could fly. And I B, mean, they kind of do have big ears, not as big as Dumbo, but... B, I actually thought the feather gave him the ability to fly. <laughs> oh, I didn't get that it was about this, this story about self-confidence. Oh, that's really cool. Though. And I think most people forget that about this movie, too. And it's a beautiful, simple film about self-confidence and love, mm. too. So... Dumbo is my second favorite 40s film from 1941. Well, now that you have me crying while my fur child is whimpering in the (laughs) other room because she wants us to come over there and help her eat. See, mother and child separated. (laughs) Don't do that to me. I'm trying to talk about a comedy here, dude. All right. My number one is, you guessed it, Arsenic and Old Lace from 1944. I mean, we were talking about something earlier and i just started cracking up because i thought about <laughs> our snake and old lace um a line from there you know this is like my ultimate favorite you know if i had to pick a black and white film this is my favorite from the golden era. yeah and then harvey would be after it you know mm. and so you know you've already spoken a bit about it you know we've got frank capra doing this with starring Cary grant and josephine hall two of my favorite people you know she like i said she's in and Harvey as well. Cary Grant is this drama critic that hates the idea of marriage and love, but in the first 10 minutes of the film, he is marrying his neighborhood sweetheart, you know, his neighbor. He comes home to tell his aunts that it happened. He plans to move along swiftly to their honeymoon. He actually wants to get out of town so that people don't see him and write about it, you know, like, right, uh, yeah, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like double standards. But as you said, they find out that they, he finds out that these sweet little old ladies that help raise him are actually a little insane, <laughs> charmingly insane, insane, you know, uh, and so is the rest of the family. And he needs to come to terms with that. He doesn't know what he's going to do. Does he really want to bring his wife into this into this craziness? Does he need a divorce right now? This is a fantastic comedy. It makes me laugh so much. Uh, as you said, Cary Grant's face and all the side characters really make this movie a whole lot of fun, you know? And there's something happening constantly. If this ever, if this was ever a play near us, I would definitely go watch it because I just absolutely love this film. Awesome. And my favorite 1940s film, as of a few minutes ago, is 1946's The Best Years of Our Lives by William Wyler. I was really struck when I saw this film, another movie on my list that's named by the AFI as one of the greatest films of all time. I was really struck when I watched this film how this movie that came out only a year after World War II ended was offering such a incisive and damning look at the treatment of our veterans when they come back home. The treatment of our our servicemen, no matter what branch that they came from, we have three examples. We have a navyman, an air forceman, and a military uh, army man coming home, and uh, different ages, 
one of which is actually was actually wounded. He lost his hands. The struggles that they are faced with uh, socially and professionally, you know, they can't necessarily get a job. They can't get their old jobs back. They find that they the, 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 the relationships that they left behind have moved on or are struggling or have different expectations and, and or unable to empathize or understand the struggles that they're going through. You know, they, they can't just switch off whatever's going on in their mind. It's it's really an incredibly uh, what's insightful film. And it's a beautiful film. And, you know, I, I'll be damned like hardly anybody's ever heard of this film at this point. I think it's not a very well-known well film. I think it's a, a bit of a forgotten film. Yet this thing won so many Oscars. And uh, it actually also featured a real guy who had lost his hands. Uh, he was not a professional actor. His name is Harold Russell. And he is extraordinary in this film. You, you, you wouldn't think that he wasn't a professional at all. The way he's able to give the performance he gives. And William Wyler does some really great stuff as a director in this as well that and I know that this film has been uh, taught and studied in in, in colleges too uh, because of particular scenes so I love the best years of our lives always have been taken by it if you haven't seen this film I, I second the recommendation wholeheartedly of uh, checking it out it is from 1946 and it is my favorite 40s film but what is your favorite 40s movies? Uh, feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That will about do it for this episode. Shanna, before we talk about next episode, share with everyone where they can find you online. All right. Let me firstly say, if one more person tells me they want to be my sugar daddy, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. What? So politely reach out to me on Instagram at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. There's quite a bit of spam happening out there and oh, little stalker predator robot, whatever, pick a word that you want. Gotcha. <laughs> so be nice. And then you can also find my somewhat movie list that is still in development on flick chart with spellbinding a cool. I'm also on Flickchart, the Gibson 99. There, I got over 3,400 movies on my list. Not, not that I'm bragging, but people want to know. And also, you can go to the new and improved 10-year anniversary website, thegibsonreview.com. Thank you, Fashionably Frank Marketing, for that. You'll find all of the articles, past episodes of The Movie Lovers, um, all reviews, best of lists, everything's there. Check it out. Go to Facebook slash The Gibson Review and Instagram, The Gibson 99. Take part in some of the polls that we have going on there. I do uh, bracket polls year by year on there on the instagram let's see recently we did favorite movies of 2019 and the favorite movie that people voted there was avengers endgame we did 2018 mission impossible fallout was voted a favorite there and we just finished um, at the time of recording 2017 poll for baby driver so 
uh, the time you're hearing this, we'll probably just be finishing up a 2016 poll and probably have a 1940s poll, which will be a big one uh, in the process. So feel free to check that out, the Gibson 99 on Instagram. Have fun there. And I think that's everywhere that you can find me online. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we'll be reviewing the newest Elizabeth Moss movie, another Elizabeth Moss movie, Shirley, which is a biopic of about writer Shirley Jackson, most famous for the book uh, The House on Haunted Hill. I think a lot of people also appreciate a story called The Lottery. And as such, we will be counting down our favorite biopics. I can't believe we haven't done this one already, but here we are. Favorite biopics. So check that out. You can expect that episode on July 7th, just after the holiday weekend. So until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.